Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. We are entering the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters, five, six, and seven in Matthew. We're entering chapter seven. And you'll remember a few weeks ago that we looked at a very famous saying, turn the other cheek. And it actually has, that phrase has become something that's so used in our culture that we kind of actually don't know what it means anymore. Today, we hit something similar in chapter 7 where we get to this phrase that says, judge not or you will be judged. And uh, that has become actually so widely used in our culture that we're not really even sure what it means anymore. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting as we look at this text, you'll see that Jesus starts off in verse 1 saying, judge not. But then as we get further into the text, he actually tells us to make judgments. So which is it? Is are we not supposed to judge or are we supposed to judge? Well, that is what we're going to be looking at today. I'm going to ask my sister Jenna Braddock to come forward and she's going to read the text for us today. Matthew 7, 1 through 12. Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard by which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs, or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet, turn, and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. The word of God. If you don't think you're judgmental, you need to go to Disney World. If you don't think you're judgmental, you need to go to Disney World and look at what other people wear to Disney World and listen to your inner monologue. We went to Disney World a couple weeks ago. We took the kids and we were walking around the parks and we felt very safe. They did a good job. But I found my inner monologue constantly talking to me about the different outfits that people were wearing at Disney World. And you realize at Disney World you're walking and literally hundreds of people are passing you every moment. So you're exposed to all these different things that people wear. And, you know, there's the people that wear the really fun stuff, like the fun parents who wear the ears and the shirts. And I'm I'm okay with that. You know, I've I've worn the the ears before as an adult at Disney World. But there's other people that dress, and the way that they dress, I just couldn't 
stop the inner monologue. Uh, you know, I just didn't understand why people had to wear that many sparkles from head to toe. You know, that when the sun actually hits their outfit and the, and the sparkles flare back at you, it blinds you for a second. Someone was telling me earlier that they, they saw someone wearing high heels through Disney World, and, and I think I saw the same thing. And, you know, the inner monologue goes, don't you realize that you have to walk three to five miles? Uh, the more I saw, the more I heard myself talking to myself, uh, don't you realize that your mask doesn't work if you wear it down here instead of over here? If you think you're not judgmental, you need to go to Disney World and, and watch what people wear and then listen to your inner monologue. You know, we're, we're very quick to judge people based on their outward appearance. We, we see something and then we listen to what uh, the inner monologue makes a judgment about that person. But not only that, we're, we're really quick to judge people's motives and we're quick to judge the whole story by just a portion of the story. Uh, this week, Oprah interviewed Prince Harry and Meghan and I didn't actually even know the interview was happening and I didn't know that it had happened until I got on the internet later and saw all these different posts. And the, the first, very first post I saw was I think Inside Edition had hired a body language expert to watch the interview and then assess whether Meghan Markle was being genuine or not based on her body language and facial expressions. And, and, and then another one popped up, the same thing, like someone else had hired a body language expert to make a judgment on Meghan Markle. And I was like, this is a little intense. Um, and, and then what we saw is we saw judgments kind of all over the place. We saw people begin to say, well, we have a little bit of the story, and so now we know the whole story. And so people were offering critiques and judgments all around when it comes to both the royal house and Meghan Markle and Prince Harry and even Oprah. Uh, you know, we have a weird relationship when it comes to judging. No one likes to be judged because it brings up feelings of shame, and no one likes to think that someone else has pegged them in a box. At the same time, our culture really thrives on judging. Our culture thrives on giving our opinions about everything and about, about this feeling of superiority that we get it, even though we haven't seen the whole story. Our culture really thrives on judging, even to the point where the experts are the ones who are the most certain in their judgments, who don't see any gray. It's only either black or white. It's this way or that way. And our culture really thrives on that. In fact, you're probably being influenced by some of the most judgmental people out there. And yet we don't like to be judged. See, something weird happens when we see others predominantly through eyes of judgment. Something weird happens to us when we see others through eyes of judgment, and it's this, we don't see much else. The quicker we are to judge, the less we see. And it can be particularly dangerous for a follower of Jesus because when we see others with eyes of judgment, we don't see God correctly and we don't see ourselves consistently. When we see others with eyes of judgment, we don't see God correctly or we don't see ourselves consistently. Look at what Jesus says in verse 1. Here's the famous verse. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. 
Jesus is implying that you and I are not the ultimate judge of things. We are not the ultimate arbitrator of human interactions. God is because God is a judge. God is a righteous and just judge. Now, some people say only God will judge me. That should be terrifying. That should be terrifying when we say that, to think that God as the righteous judge is the one who is going to judge us. Because God judges not according to our standards, but according to his righteous character. God is always sacrificially loving, and we tend to be somewhat selfish. God always pursues his enemies with forgiveness, and we tend to write people off. We define righteousness by what's good for me in the moment, but God is consistent throughout history with what he says is good and true. And he makes his judgments according to his character. Now, we are made in his image. We are made in the image of God. And so there's something in us that has this desire to judge. The problem is, is that since the Garden of Eden and since we fell in the sin, our judging is off. It's not according to the character of God and what he loves and what he says is good. It's according to me and what I think is good. And so our judgments blind us to the fact that we are not the ultimate judge, but God is. But our judgments also blind us to the fact that our judgments are not consistent. Our judgments that come out of our heart are not even consistent. Look at what Jesus says in verse 2. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Uh, when I go on a walk, I don't like to hold my phone because I like to just, I like to have my hands free. And so I put it like this and hook it on my shirt and it doesn't fall because I don't go that fast. Um, but it would be interesting to turn the video camera on so it saw everything that I saw, but then it recorded my voice throughout the day. It'd be interesting to do that all day for all of us to do that and then go back and watch it at the end of the day and then edit that video and that audio down to just the places where we make judgments. And then have an independent party come in and see if we actually even live up to the things that we're judging other people by. If we would live up to the things that we're judging other people by. You see, we look at people and we say, their motives are off, so I'm going to write them off. Never looking at our impure motives. We look at people and say, they should do better, so I'm going to avoid them. Never looking at our own lives to see where we could do better. Our judgments are so inconsistent. This should sober us. What if the prayer that we offered every morning was, God, judge me in the same way that I judge others. God, measure me today according to the way that I mentally measure others. Does anyone want to pray that prayer? That should sober us that we aren't even consistent with the, the ways that we judge others. And part of what Jesus is saying here is, like, listen, God is the ultimate judge. You are not, but you can't even live up to your own judgments of other people. When we see with eyes of judgment, we don't see our judgments consistently, and we don't see our own hypocrisy. Don't see our own hypocrisy. Jesus says in verse 3, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye, hypocrite. Now, Jesus was a professional carpenter. He was used to working with wood, and so this is an illustration that he could draw out of his own vocation before he started his ministry, that when you're working with wood, sometimes you get big shards of wood, and sometimes you get little specks of wood. He uses splinter to to talk about small specks of wood and beams, to talk about big pieces of wood. And what he's saying is that oftentimes, we, when you're working with wood, you can get a large piece of wood in your eye, and the person you're working with can get a small piece of wood in your eye, but you don't notice the big piece of wood. You just see the small piece of wood. And he's telling us that as a spiritual metaphor for our own hypocrisy. He's not talking about wood, he's talking about sins and failures and faults. We can see the faults and failures and sins of others and miss the larger ones in our own eyes. But notice how forceful Jesus even is in this. Jesus isn't saying, hey, you know how some people are hypocrites? You know know how some people say one thing and do another? Isn't that weird? Jesus isn't saying this. Doesn't it bother you when people call other people out but never check themselves? Jesus isn't offering us sage wisdom about all the people out there that we can go, man, that really bothers me too. I've seen people who are that blind to themselves. No, Jesus isn't letting us off the hook. He's saying it's you. He's saying it's me. He's talking about us. He's saying that however you see the faults in others, you are missing the faults in your own life. Whatever sins you see in others, you are going to be prone to miss the sins in your own life. When you see someone else's lack of love, that's real, and yet you'll miss your own lack of love. When you see someone deceiving themselves, that's real, and yet you'll miss your own self-deception. When you see someone else's glaring hypocrisy, you'll be so turned off to it, and at the same time, you'll miss your own hypocrisy. That's kind of scary to think about. Uh, That happens, though, in the church, right? In the church, we can be hypocritical. A bunch of church people were sitting around, and they were talking, and they were talking about how greedy everyone was outside of the church, and how everybody outside of the church just tried to accumulate stuff after stuff and more and more and more and more. And finally, someone asked, well, how much stuff is too much? When is it too greedy? How much stuff do you have to have for it to be sinful? And the group went real quiet. And one guy honestly said from the back, well, it's sinful when they have more than me. One person said, many Christians define sin as the sum total of acts with which they themselves do not do. In other words, sin is what other people do. It's not what I do. And when we fall into that mindset, we live in hypocrisy. We live in hypocrisy. And so even as we think about trying to witness to a watching world, are we quicker to critique the culture or to critique our own hearts? Are we quicker to critique what the world is doing or what we are doing as the church? 
the moments that we are quick to critique the world, and there's plenty of things to critique them about, without checking ourselves, we will be blind to our own hypocrisy. And people will be turned off by the gospel because of our hypocrisy. But, but the thing is, is that hypocrisy isn't just a church thing. It's a human thing. It really is a human thing. I, sometimes I see people who are frustrated with the church, and I get why, but then they miss their own hypocrisy when they see the hypocrisy of others. Here's an example. I cannot stand judgmental people. They are the worst kind of people. Don't you just hate judgmental people? And if you catch that there, you realize that I'm judging in that moment. See, see, hypocrisy isn't just a church thing, it's a human thing. It's a human thing, and, and, and the way forward is brutal honesty with ourselves in front of the mirror. The way forward for any human being is brutal honesty with themselves in front of the mirror with no excuses for your behavior, um, no, no giving yourself a pass for your mixed motives, but brutal honesty in front of the mirror to see who you really are and where you really fail and what your sins really are. Because when that happens, when you're able to look in the mirror and see yourself accurately, something will happen to you. You will see your deep need. And seeing that deep need will produce a humility in you. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. Jesus says in verse 5b, he says, Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your own eye. There's a sense that we have to be honest and look at the flaws in our own life as we look in the mirror, see where we fall short, see what we're doing wrong, see where our motives are mixed, see our own hypocrisy. And when we see that, it puts us in a place of need. And when we see us, when we're in a place of need, it produces humility. Now, humility is different than shame. People often won't look in the mirror because they are afraid of being ashamed. Shame is there's something wrong with me and I must hide from everybody else. But humility is I've got a lot of broken things in my life, but I can go to someone else and ask for help. Shame says I have to hide from God because out of all the people in the world, there's something off about me. But humility says, I know I can go to God in my need, in my brokenness. And God, I can go to God not as my judge, but as my father. See, shame will just keep you judging others. Because when you judge others, it's just a way to cover over your shame. But humility, taking an honest look at yourself and seeing your need and knowing that God will meet you in your need, produces deeper and deeper humility where you might actually go to someone else and say, I need your help. The eye is one of the most sensitive parts of the body. That's why it's kind of hidden back in the head. You don't want to get hit, you don't want to get hit by it. It needs to be protected. And to get anything out of your eye, it takes gentleness 
and care. My daughter and I were walking on Dixie Highway the other day, and a car drove by and kicked up some dust, and I got in this eye, and I just went, like, down. I couldn't see, and, uh, and I just was like, wow, this is a really sensitive organ we have here. And in order to get stuff out, excuse me, in order to get stuff out, uh, we need gentleness and care with ourselves as we look in the mirror, but there's a good chance that we can't get stuff out of our own eye without the help of others. Now, what does that look like as we ask for help with the sin we have in our life. How do you want to be treated when you get honest before the mirror and you see the brokenness in your life? Do you want someone to come in boldly, arrogantly, and brashly who knows what's going on or someone who asks a lot of questions and is willing to help you, be gentle with you, get down in it with you? See, when, when we see our own need, it humbles us and then makes us people that can help others because we know we need help. It produces this humility in us. How would your marriage be different if you had that humility in yourself when you confronted your spouse? How, how would things be different in your relationships if you approached other people who had stuff in their eye or sin in their heart if you approach them knowing that you yourself needed to change in the process. Now, here's the thing. Some people say, well, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying we're all hypocrites, we're all judgmental, so let's just leave everybody else alone and worry about yourself. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is actually telling us that we should call balls and strikes. Like we should make judgments about what's right and wrong according to God's character. It's not loving to go to someone brashly when there's sin in their life, nor is it loving to leave them alone when they're stuck in sin. Even the fact that Jesus says that someone sees a speck in someone else's eye means that they have made a judgment about something in that person's life that doesn't line up with the character of God. And so as we go to humbly to people, we're not called to just ignore sin or to go, well, I'm not perfect either, so let's let it lie. No, we're actually called to help one another. But the way of the church is just upside down. The way of the kingdom of God is upside down. Because what often happens is when something's broken, what do we do? We hire an expert. We hire an expert to come in to fix us and tell us how to make our lives like them. But did you notice, did you notice what Jesus says here? The person with the log, the person with the greater failure, the person with the bigger sin, as they grow through the process of identifying that sin and then repenting of that sin, they're actually able to help other people even with lesser sins. The way of the kingdom of God is backwards from the way of the world. And so you might feel like you've had a major failure in your life, and you've been on the path of just hiding it and hiding it. Why not look honestly in the mirror? Why not look honestly in the mirror and let God work with you because he wants to use you in other people's lives who might be struggling with something similar but wasn't as big? The only way that that can happen is that if the operating principle of the kingdom of God is not perfection and judgment but rather mercy. Mercy. We see how to help other people because we are simply beggars showing people where to get bread. 
See, the person with the greater hunger, the person who says, man, I'm hungry and thirsty for righteousness and I'll show you where to get it. That is the person that we can trust because they, we know that they've dealt with their sins and we know that they long for Jesus to change them. And really, as Christians, we're all just beggars showing each other where to get spiritual food. But not only that, we can see when to release others. We can make a judgment call about when releasing others when they don't see the bread that we're offering them. Jesus says something hard here in verse 6. He says, don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. Now, if we just read this verse, we'd go, what is going on? But this verse in context of what Jesus is saying is this. Every person needs mercy from God. We are all people who are ignorant of our own hypocrisy. We are ignorant of our own sin. But once we humble ourselves before God, we receive mercy. And therefore, we become people who are certain that God will show mercy on anyone who comes to him. Anyone. The worst sinner can come to God and say, I need mercy in Jesus Christ, and God will pour out mercy through the gospel. But there comes a time... There comes a time when we continue to offer the gospel. We continue to point people to spiritual bread. We continue to show people the mercy. And over and over and over again, they say, I I don't need it. I'm not a hypocrite. (laughs) I'm okay. I don't have a plank in my own eye. And what Jesus is saying is that the gospel is such a treasure, that's why he calls it a pearl, that there's a time actually to make a judgment call and move on and offer the good news of the gospel to someone else. Now, reading that verse alone, we would be uncomfortable, but understanding in the context of what Jesus is trying to say is that the gospel is a treasure for needy people. And if people don't see their need, and they don't see their need, and they don't see their hypocrisy, and they don't want it, there can be a time to just say, I'm going to move on and find someone else who's spiritually hungry. One of God's judgments, in fact, is that he releases people to pursue their own desires and their own path. Romans 1 tells us that one of the judgments of God, like when God is angry at you, he takes his hand of conviction off you and lets you pursue whatever you want. That's a scary thought for me because I think, what sins am I ignoring in my life? I I want the conviction of God in my life. And that's a little bit of what Jesus is getting at in here because God ultimately, his desire is that every single person would come to know him that every single person would come to him and experience his mercy. God loves it when we come to him in need. God loves it when we come to him saying, I failed and I need your mercy, but I know you're the one who forgives. God loves it when we come to him as beggars. He doesn't despise us. He doesn't hate us. He offers more mercy. Look at the, the last section of verses here. And I want you to count in your head how many times it says ask. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a snake? 
If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Uh, five times. Five times we're told that Jesus, by Jesus to ask God in our need, to ask over and over and over, to ask for our physical needs when our finances are low, when we have family members that are sick, when we can't pay our bills, when we need help with our house, when we need help with relationships, we're told to ask, ask, ask God who, who never gets tired of beggars coming to him and asking for help. But we're also told to ask for our spiritual needs. What would it be like if over and over and over we as the people of God ask, God, please show me my hypocrisy. God, please show me the places that I'm not like Christ. God, please make me holy. God, please help me to see the areas where I judge others and I don't judge myself by those my own standards. We get tired of hearing that about ourselves, but God never tires of us coming to him and asking for help. He promises to give good gifts when we ask. One commentator wrote it this way. If you ask and God sees your request for a gift as a good gift, from his perspective, he will give it to you. He will give it to you. Not because of your performance, but because he's good. Because he's good. Now, there are times when my children ask me for things, and they think they're good gifts, but I know they are not good gifts, so I do not give it to them. But you, as the people of God, can rest in this fact, not based on your performance, not based on how much you've loved God or loved neighbor or dealt with your own hypocrisy or whatever. God will give good gifts if it is good from his perspective because he is merciful. Because he is merciful. Look at what Jesus says. Did you catch in there? He says, if you then, who are evil? Like, that's right in your face, right? Like, well, I'm not that bad, am I, Jesus? Yeah, you have a dark, twisted heart. You are self-centered. You are hypocritical. You judge other people and do not judge yourself. In your heart of hearts, there is evil. Yet. God gives good gifts. Why? Because he's merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us based on mercy. Based on mercy. See, you and I live in this life with this sense of judgment. I'll, I'll give to you only if you give to me. If I like you, I will help you. If you're good, then I'll give you a good gift. But that, that's not how God operates. God operates not based on who we are, but based on who he is. And he is a God full of mercy. A God full of mercy. And we know this most clearly because the gift that we most needed was Jesus. He didn't wait. Didn't wait until we got our act together to send Jesus. And he didn't wait until our motives were pure to give us Jesus. And he didn't wait until we promised to be good forever and ever and ever until he gave us Jesus. Now, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the 
ungodly. And when we begin to understand that Jesus came as an act of God's mercy to absorb the judgment of God so that we could receive the love of God, it changes the way we see everything. We see everything differently. Because we see ourselves not as people who are deserving of mercy, but rather who have been recipient of mercy. So then we begin to look around at other people and say, how can I do what Jesus did for me to them? How can I show mercy when I'm prone to judgment? See, the, the last verse here, Jesus sums up, and it, if you understand the flow of what he's getting at, he says, therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Uh, Jesus came to fulfill God's law, treating us not as we deserve, but through what we need, giving us what we need by dying on the cross for our sins. He, he saw you. He saw your evil. He saw your judgmental hearts. He saw your hypocrisy, and he still moved towards us in love and in mercy. He, he lived the life you should have lived, and he died the death that you should have died so that you could be raised to new life, so that you could receive the mercy of God, so that you wouldn't be under the judgment of God, but you would be under his mercy. So much of loving our neighbor is loving them where they are, not where they should be, because that's what Jesus did for us. Now, he changes us, but he meets us right where we are. Even today, afresh again, he'll meet you where you are. When you see yourself accurately in the mirror, you'll see your own need, you'll see how to help others, you'll see... God and his mercy Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.